0: Lighthouse family! So great to see you online and in person. We are excited to celebrate the one true love that never fails and that's Jesus this morning. We're gonna sing about true love. I was lost with a broken heart. You picked me up and now I'm set apart. safe in the Savior's hands. You are more than my words could say. I follow you, Lord, for all my days. I fix my eyes following your ways. Forever free in unending grace. Cause you are, you are, you are That were holding me you sent your son down and said me pray. everything of this world will fade i'm pressing on till i see your face i will live that Your will be done and i won't stop till you king. Yes, we do praise you for that love, Lord. Thank you for filling all the empty places with your love and your word, which never fails. Through every season. How beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. I spoke a word, you were singing over me, and you have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath,
1: I love that song, and I I know that um, it can be confusing sometimes when we use the term reckless in relationship to God's love for us, as if he didn't think about the consequences or didn't think about the cost. He was just kind of not thinking at all, and the reality is just the opposite. Our God loves us so much that he was willing to selflessly sacrifice everything, and today we want to, to kind of camp in that thought in how deeply God loves us, because it's Valentine's Day, and and, um, Valentine's Day is one of those days that for some of us, we look forward to. We look forward to getting flowers, or chocolates, or a nice meal. Uh, For others of us, we dread today, because it's a reminder that maybe relationships aren't what we would want them to be, or a a reminder of of loneliness, and and quite honestly, I have a love-hate relationship with Valentine's Day. I tend to love to hate it, um, because it's one of those days where love is expected, right, which kind of steals the fun out of it. I love to get my wife flowers when they're not expected. I don't, I, I kind of resent having to get my wife flowers when they are expected. Um, I love to to tell my wife how I feel about her when those words are not ripped out of me because they're demanded But on a day like today, I kind of feel like it's made up by Hallmark, just to sell more cards. Maybe I'm the only one, but I have a little bit of a a chip on my shoulder about, in fact, Kathy and I have a tradition that we don't celebrate Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day because everybody else and their mother celebrates Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day, and I hate crowds. So we, we celebrate it on like the 11th or the 12th or some other day, and then it also, Bill, just, just for your protection. It also protects me from forgetting about Valentine's Day. So I know that I, I won't actually mention your name, Bill, that you forgot that today was Valentine's Day. But for those of you who forgot, today's Valentine's Day. Um, the other reason, you know, it's funny, the, the cards that we give to our, our, our significant others or to people that we care about on Valentine's Day, because, I mean, we're wanting to articulate our heartfelt feelings. And so how best to do that than to, to grab a card with somebody else's words, right? And those, th- sometimes those cards say it way better than we could, but they can come off sounding as trite or impersonal because they're somebody else's words. Um, and, and that's just one of those things where... Ha- hey, the other hard part with, with cards is how do you articulate the messy beauty of, of genuine, authentic love, of, of the feelings that we have towards another person in a sentence? How do you do that? It, it's very, very difficult. And so any attempt at it, whether it's somebody else's or our own, is going to come off a, a, as somewhat superficial because love is messy and love is... Uh, has a lot of complexity that simply gets lost when you try to articulate it in a short card. Now, I know that today is a Valentine's Day and it lands on a Sunday, and and, and I know that that's probably happened before in our lifetime. Somebody actually mentioned that it's happened six times in my lifetime, Uh, but I don't remember any of those. So this is the first time that Valentine's Day has landed on a Sunday that I remember. Uh, Which means that it's a a perfect day for us to be able to talk about the way that God feels about us. The perfect day for us to say, hey, if God were to write a Valentine's card to us, what would be in it? What would he say? And, And quite honestly, if there was any place in all of Scripture that I would want to point us to as what I think would be written those big, bold letters that are always on the right side of the card, what big, bold letters would God write to us? There is no verse that I would be more drawn to take us to than the one that we happen, just so happen, to find ourselves in as we are taking this slow journey through John's gospel, because today we arrive serendipitously at John 3:16 which is, without a doubt, the most famous verse in all of Scripture. It's the type of verse that people who don't even read the Bible know by heart because they've seen it scrawled in in like the face paint on their favorite football player's uh, face or they've they've seen it all over the place. And so most of us know it. But here's the the thing with John 3.16. As with anything that we become familiar with, the more familiar we get with it, the more the sharp edges get worn away like the sharp edges off of a rock that becomes a river stone. They become polished. They become pretty. They become something that you can devotionalize. But at the end of the day, they can lose their power to overwhelm us or to awe us or to surprise us. And that's a real loss when it comes to something like this, because when we're talking about God's love, I do not want it to come off as trite or impersonal. It is the most personal thing we could possibly talk about. And so today we are going to camp in one verse. Whereas we typically try to take a good portion of scripture, today we are going to just sit and allow John three sixteen to rest on us like water on a parched ground and hope that some of the truth, some of the, the, the multifaceted depth that is contained in this short, short verse can begin to permeate our souls and so help us to rest in that overwhelming, never-ending, selfless love of God. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to John 3.16. Let's go ahead and read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So right from the very beginning of this verse we're introduced to two parties. You have the subject of this verse, which is God. And then you have the object of this, the the one that God is going to be acting upon, which is the world of which we're a part of. And I want to take just a moment and, and set the scene for us to recognize who's being talked about here. So first off, who's God? Well, we're reminded from the very first chapters of the Bible and from the very first chapter of John's Gospel that the God we're talking about is the creator and sustainer of everything. Everything that we can see, everything that we can taste, everything that we can touch, He formed. Everything you can see through a a telescope and everything you can see when you look through the microscope, He created it by His will. And by his will, he holds it all together. But this God that we're talking about is not some impersonal being. He's not like the force from Star Wars that is this amorphous thing that you can somehow interact with, but at the end of the day has no personality, no character. He's a very personal God. So personal, in fact, that he created humanity in his image And he endowed us with free will so that we could actually have relationship. And this is one of those really confusing things that I don't want to spend too much time on because we've talked about it before. But the reason that we have free will, the reason he put a tree that was off limits in the garden in the first place is so that his image bearers had a choice. Am I going to trust him or am I not going to trust him? Am I going to obey him or am I going to do what I think is best? Because free will makes relationship possible. My phone does what I want it to do, except for when the phone company pushes through an update, in which case it never works again. But my phone does what it was designed to do, what it was programmed to do, what I want it to do. My phone, I could program it to say, good morning, Eric. I love you every time I turn it on. But that wouldn't mean that it could love me. Not at all. Because it's just doing its programming. My kids? They can tell me six ways a Sunday that they don't like me and they want me to go away. Sometimes they do. But it also means that when they say, Daddy, I love you, or you snuggle with me? That means something and my heart melts, right? Because they have the ability to love because they have the ability not to. And so God created us with the ability to be in relationship with him. He's a very personal God. And then we come to the object of god's focus which is the world and when we're talking about the world we're talking about everything the word there in greek is cosmos it's everything in the universe that god has spoken into existence including and primarily us his image bearers who were created as like the pinnacle of creation, created in his image in order to have relationship with him. We are the focus. And and by the way, guys, we have an innate value in us. As much as we like to talk about, you know, total depravity and things like that, I want us to remember from the outset, we are of immense value to God. as 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 one of the paul's books reminds us we are god's workmanship his work of art the word in greek is poema we are a work of his heart unlike the rest of creation that he simply spoke into existence when it came to humanity he got his hands dirty he got down in the dust of the earth and he formed the first person adam out of the dirt and then He breathed the breath of his life into our lungs, making us this beautiful synthesis of corruptible flesh and divine spirit. That is who we are, and he didn't just make us because he was bored. He made us to join him. In the formation and the the cultivation of his creation he made us in his image to be his representatives reflecting his heart to the world and yet as we're reminded from genesis chapter 3 because of our free will uh, it didn't go so well we didn't kind of live out what god intended for us because we have this propensity to think we know better than him we have a propensity towards sin. We have a propensity, as I'm finding with my kids, that any time you say don't, we do, or at least we want to do. And so humanity, although we were created to reflect God's heart, humanity has been tarnished by, irreparably warped by sin. And by our own efforts, we never, ever, ever could address that. We, we become imperfect image bearers of our God in this world, and we're reminded of that. As I, as I read about people like Ravi Zacharias and others that we look up to that do not reflect the heart of God, and it pains us when those we put on a pedestal certainly don't belong there. And by the way, guys, none of us belong on a pedestal. If you have me on a pedestal, please take me down, okay? Because I don't belong there. Jeff doesn't belong there. Nobody does. Besides Jesus Christ. Because we will let you down. And so we are image bearers who have an innate value because we are created in God's image. And yet, because of sin, we live in a sort of opposition to God for most of our lives. And in fact, of like the 60 times that John uses the term cosmos throughout his gospel, it is almost always used in a way that is in opposition to God let me just give you one example this is from the first chapter of John verse 10 can we throw it up there he being Jesus or the word was in the world there's that word cosmos and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him this is just one of many examples of where the world as John is using it doesn't understand, doesn't want to go with God, doesn't want to submit to him, but is oftentimes in opposition to him. And guys, that is where we find ourselves, in opposition to, not understanding, particularly when we try to do it on our own. So God created us to reflect him, and we can not. We imperfectly do it. Oftentimes we reflect more our own brokenness and our own values more than we reflect his values. But rather than giving up on us, rather than just throwing us to the curb, what John 3.16 reminds us of is that God's response is very different from any that we would have expected or that we would have deserved. Because God chose to love us. Now let's, let's drill into that word love because it's really important, particularly on a day like today, right? Valentine's Day, it's a day devoted to love. But my guess is that when we read that word love, we tend to read it through a lens of people who have been, whose perception of love has been shaped by the relationships that you've had in this world with other broken image bearers. And so when you hear the word love, it feels very contingent upon effort, your effort. You're, you are loved so long as you do well. But the, like, if we read the idea that God loves us, we can accept that so long as we're doing well, so long as we're kind of keeping ourselves in line, so long as we're doing the things we think he would want. And so God's smile shines upon us, but there's this part of us that goes, but if I misstep, if I, if I stumble, if I hurt somebody, if I hurt myself, if I say something to somebody in my anger, because I got a lot of it there, I'm frustrated at the way I see the world going, and if I just, God's smile can very easily change to a, a storm cloud of his dissatisfaction. And the reason, and, and, and a lot of us live In relationship with God, with that mindset, we read that God loves us with that perception, that his love towards us is contingent upon our effort, is contingent upon us doing good. And ultimately, that is because we are reading God's love through the filter, through the lens of our own broken relationships that we've had. Maybe it was parents' where you could never satisfy them, but you were constantly trying, or you were constantly disappointing them. Maybe it's from a broken relationship where you were hurt deeply, somebody you trusted in, and they just stomped all over your heart. A lot of times when we hear the word love, we equate it to a feeling, how you feel towards somebody. And feelings are fickle things. They can change very, very quickly. Sometimes beyond our ability to control, although we all try in some ways to control it. Thankfully, John is not using the word love in that way. In no way is he insinuating that the love that God has for us is a feeling that he has because we've somehow earned it. Now, there are words that he could have chosen because unlike in English where we got one word, love, that has to do a whole lot of things and we love pizza as much as we love our spouse, or we use the same word to talk about that, um, the word love in Greek, there's four of them that he could have chosen. Three of them have to do more with feeling. So you've got eros which is romantic love. That's the type of love we tend to celebrate on Valentine's Day. It's that love that wants to possess the other. And sometimes, Have you ever felt like you could, you're holding, you're hugging somebody, and you just can't get close enough to them? It's just, just hugging them's not enough. That's what that romantic Eros type of love is. Then you got phileo, from which you get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, because phileo is that brotherly love you feel towards another person. Even if they're not blood-related, you feel so close to them that, that you got their back and they've got yours. And then you got storge, which is nostalgic love. This is the type of love that you have for something that is familiar to you. Maybe it's the house you grew up in. Maybe it's the, the stuffed animal you slept with as a kid. Maybe it's um, the song that your parents loved and you heard a whole bunch of times when you were a kid. You can go ahead and take it off the screen. Um, But that's the storge type of love, and John could have chosen any one of those words to articulate how God loves us, but he didn't do that because he chose a different word that is not tied to feelings. It's the word agape. It's a word I'm sure you guys have heard before. Agape is an unconditional, sacrificial love. And here's the biggest thing, the most important distinction between agape love and the other three types of love that he could have used to articulate the way God feels towards us. It is not conditional upon the other person, it is a choice more than it is a feeling. Here's what I mean by that, and here's why this matters. Because a lot of us approach God like we have somehow got to earn His favor. We've got to work for His love. It's contingent upon whether or not we're good people. It's contingent upon whether or not we get to church enough times or watch enough sermons. It's contingent upon how we pray and how often we pray and what we do. The emphasis being we are responsible. We've got to earn it. And way too many of us go through life thinking we've got to earn God's love. But agape love reminds us that we cannot nor do we need to earn his love. He chose to love us. I love the words of, of Romans. Uh, in his letter to the Romans, Paul puts it this way. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. It's Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, while we were still in open rebellion to God, doing what we thought best, he sent Jesus to die for us. He took the first and most important step towards reconciling, restoring relationship with us. We didn't earn it. He chose it. And so here is the key point that I want us to pull out of the fact that John chooses agape rather than phileo or eros or sorge type of love. God's love for us rests upon his character more than our efforts. It has more to do with who he is than how worthy we are. And that's good news for a whole bunch of screw-ups like us, or at least maybe I'm talking about myself, right? That is good news for us because there's no way we could have earned his love. There's no way that we could rest if our, his feelings towards us were contingent upon our effort. It's for God so loved the world that he gave. Now this is... This flows right out of that thought. Because you notice the word he uses there. God loved us so much that he gave. We didn't earn, he gave. Now I will tell you, there is something that you and I have earned. But it's not what he gave us. Another, Again, in, in the book of Romans, Paul writes this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we've earned something. Wages are things that you earn through effort. And what have we earned through our sin? Death. That's what we deserve. We'll talk about what death is in just a few minutes. Thankfully, God, who is rich in mercy, does not give us what we have earned. Instead, he gives us what he wants to give us, what he chose to give us, which is new life in Christ Jesus, which is a gift of grace. I gotta say this about God, and this is something I really appreciate about him. Our God doesn't sacrifice his character in loving us. He is consistent. God doesn't just turn a blind eye to our sin. He is a just, right, righteous God. Which means that he doesn't just absolve us. I forgive you. Come on back home. Instead, the gift of grace that he gives us is way more personal. It's not just a, you're forgiven, it's a person. And that person is his one and only son. For God so loved us. That he gave his one and only son. Or as some of your translations might put it, his only begotten son. But, but that word begotten doesn't really help us a whole lot, does it? Because it's not a word we typically use in our culture. In fact, the only time we probably most of us have ever used that word is in relationship to this one verse. So it's not going to be helpful for us to drill into the etymology of what does begotten mean... Instead, what would be helpful for us to understand the form of the gift that he gave us is to look back to the Greek word that one and only and begotten are trying to translate into English, and that word is monogenes, and monogenes means the only one of its kind, mono being one, genus being kind. So, the only one of its kind, and it points to the fact that Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. Unlike you and unlike me, who were created by God and have the ability to be adopted into the family, Jesus was not created. In fact, the very first verse of John's gospel reminds us that in the
0: beginning
1: was the word, the divine logos, through which the world is spoken into existence. And that word we find out later is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. So unlike you and unlike me, Jesus is the only one who has had an eternal relationship with the Father. He has always been in that relationship of Father and Son. And you've got the Holy Spirit. This is the divine trinity that is our God that we worship. We are created to be in relationship in large part because He is one who is in relationship. And we are created to be image bearers of Him. But here's the beautiful thing that we often overlook. Yes, Jesus came to save us. But first and foremost, as the divine logos, Jesus had a hand in forming all of the world, including us. So he came to save. He came and sacrificed himself for the very people that he had created. The artist sacrificing himself for his art. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the only one of his kind. That whosoever or whomever, and many of us at this point, this is actually part of the audacity of the gospel that turns some people who who don't know Jesus off. Whoever, really, whoever, you, you mean like murderers and drug dealers and Yankee fans like the really bad people them and and the answer is yes there is nobody who has who has fallen far enough from God that he does not love them and it doesn't yearn for restoration of relationship with them I, one of the most Beautiful pictures is of a guy named John Newton. Many of you guys know or have heard his story. John Newton was a, an English captain who made a career off of buying and selling people into slavery. He would take his boat over to Africa. He would load it up with men and women. He would put them in the bowels of his ship in very unsanitary situations. Many of them would die in the crossing of the Atlantic, as he, br- or, you know, as he brought them back to England. And then he would sell them into a life of slavery. And this is how he made a living. This is how he began to accumulate wealth. This is how he began to gain social status. And then one day, God got his attention. In the middle of one of those crossings, a huge storm threatened to sink the ship he was in. And in that moment, as he was faced with his own mortality, he began to recognize, holy crud, what am I living for? Is this the legacy that I want to leave? Treating other human beings as proper to be be bought and sold. And in that moment, he repented. He, 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 He turned from that lifestyle. When he got back home, he gave up his role as a captain, and he devoted his life to Jesus. And in fact, one day he became a pastor. <laughs> he, he traded slavery for pastoring, which means, you know, there's hope for people like me because God uses everybody, you know, including former slave-ers. John Newton gave his life to Christ, became a pastor. And years later, he penned words that you and I know really well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I often laugh at at the way in which grace doesn't seem all that amazing until we're face to face with just how wretched we really are. We have to see the depth of our brokenness and our inability to dig our way out before we really are willing to throw ourselves on that amazing grace that God gives us freely as a gift. It's for God so loved this world, so loved you and me, that he gave unilaterally, we didn't earn it, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, now this is the one part that you and I have a part to play in here. Because God has done everything to save us. The gift he offers of Jesus is enough. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But yet Jesus gave his life for us, and yet God does not force Jesus or force that gift upon us. Remember that whole free will thing? I think that there's a part of where God could suspend free will and make everybody accept it, but in that moment we would stop having a genuine relationship with him. We would cease to be human as he created us, and we would start to be more machines. He doesn't want that. And so we have a part to play. But the only part we have in this is to believe. I liken it to when somebody offers you a gift that is way more than you deserve. You have only one job. To reach out and take it from them. Right? To accept the gift. The gift is so much more than we could ever deserve. And yet he offers it. And our, our act of belief is an act of reaching out and taking hold of that gift of new life in Christ. But because we're 21st century Americans who have been shaped by, you know, the scientific revolution, who think that we can answer everything through, the, you know, the tools of science, we think that we can, in, we tend to intellectualize belief. When we hear the word belief, we think our heads. We think... That this simply means I need to agree that Jesus is who he said he was and he can do what he said he could do. And that's enough. Like, I could tell you, I believe that this table could hold me up if I stood on it. I could tell you that six ways a Sunday, and there are some of you right now who are hoping that I will prove it. (laughs) And then there's my wife and all the other women in here who consider themselves my mothers who are saying, Eric, please don't do it again. Please don't do, don't do that because you're going to embarrass yourself. And to to you, I simply say, I haven't gained that much weight over COVID, so please, but you're right. I don't actually believe that this table will hold me up, so I am not going to attempt that, but the point I'm trying to drive at is that belief is more than simply intellectual assent. Because otherwise, we could just say, I believe in Jesus, stamp my ticket to heaven, and then go on living any way that we want to. But belief, that is true, leads to a response. Note that Jesus never actually says to anybody, hey, pray this prayer. Hey, just think a certain way and you're good. His invitation always was follow me. Take a step and then take another step and walk with me, learn from me, be shaped by your proximity to me. And when they took that step, they were stepping away from their security. They were stepping away from the things they knew. They were stepping away oftentimes from family, from careers, from the safety of what they were familiar with, and they were following him wherever he led. Belief, as John intends it, begins by us recognizing the audacity of the gift, but it it leads to us acting upon it. Jesus put it this way a little bit later in the, in the book of John. He says, if you're really my disciples, then you'll do what I say. If you really believe, then you're going to act on that. You'll do what I say. And then, once you've acted, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you want to know whether I'm worth following, you've got to follow me. It's kind of like I, 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 I believed I was ready to be a husband 16 years ago when Kathy and I stood at the altar and we each said I do. I believed it. I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I had no idea how ill-prepared I was to be a husband to that wonderful woman who is herself imperfect, but I'm way more imperfect. I had no idea how difficult marriage would be. had no idea how different our perspectives on certain things were. Even how to, you know, roll the toothpaste. Whether or not we could sleep with a window open. Kathy, I think for Valentine's Day, maybe you let me have the window open once. Maybe. Just kidding. But in that, I said I do. And then I did. And I have learned through that process. I have been shaped over the last 16 years of walking with my wife of learning to be a husband and in the same way. Belief begins with a step, but it doesn't end with that step. It begins perhaps with an acceptance of the gift of grace, but it doesn't end there. It is a continuation. Now what do we get with that? What is the end goal of that? Well, John explains that. For God loved us so much, that he gave unilaterally his one and only son, the greatest gift we could never have earned, that whoever believes and accepts that gift will not perish. Now, as much as those English words mean death, we're not talking primarily about physical death. In the same way that when God warned Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit on that tree I told you not to to eat from, because if you do, you will surely die. He was not primarily talking about their physical death. He was talking about a spiritual death, a severing of their relationship with him. Because remember, you and I were created in God's image to do life with him and to co-labor alongside of him in the formation and the cultivation of his creation. And when sin entered the world, it drove a wedge between God's image bearers and the one who created us. It spiritually separated us. And yes, death followed, physical death, but the initial death was a separation of relationship. And you and I were born into a world where humanity lives spiritually separated from God. And there is nothing we can do to bridge this chasm or to make up for that. It's simply the reality of our lives in the sin-scarred world. But Jesus and the cross bridges that chasm in a way that we and our effort never could. And so when we say yes to the gift of grace, when we embrace Jesus not just as our Savior but as our Lord, we don't have to remain in death. Now, Some of you might say, you know, it is is cruel of God who created us and gave us free will. It's cruel of God to send people to hell. And I would simply suggest to you that God doesn't send anybody to hell. In fact, Scripture reminds us that God desires that none should perish, but all come to repentance. God does not want to see us separated from him. So much so that he sent Jesus to restore us. Jesus became, if you will, the cross-shaped life ring that he has thrown out to every single man, woman, and child who is drowning in this flood of sin that has overcome the world and is in us. He sent Jesus to, to rescue us out of it but each of us has to make a decision. Am I gonna reach out and grab hold of that life ring and hold on for all I'm worth? Or do I feel like I don't need it? Do I feel like I don't deserve it? Do I feel like it really can't save me? What is it saving me from? I'm fine. We, we like fish are, I mean, do, does a fish know it's wet? We have been so inundated with sinful, broken world that many of us don't even recognize that we're drowning. In fact, many people feel like they're doing just fine. What do I need a savior for? And so God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose hell when we refuse to take hold of the gift that God is offering to us. You are choosing death, spiritual death, even though that's not what you were created to have. And God doesn't want it that way because He created you to do life with Him, which is what John intends us to understand when he says that God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not remain spiritually separated from God, but will have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't mean sitting on some cloud, strumming a harp. I'll be the first to say that sounds as boring as I'll get out. I have very little interest in, I've never played a harp in my life. I don't want to spend all of eternity doing it. And That would be a really ugly cherub. I'm just saying. So some of these things, call me stupid Cupid, if you will, but some of these things just aren't all, some of these pictures of what eternity looks like aren't as exciting as many of us might think, or as least as they report it to be. But that's not what John is driving at when he says that we will have eternal life. Because eternal life has everything to do with our relationship with God a restoration of the relationship that we were created to have. His intent for us from the very beginning, that we would do life with him as his image bearers. We would co-labor with him in the care and cultivation of the world. A little bit later in John, let me throw it up there? A little bit later in John, Jesus says this. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Here he's talking about himself in the third person, which is kind of fun. And Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is eternal life. That they know you. And then fast forward to the end of the Bible, which John had a hand in writing. In, John, or in Re- Revelation chapter 21, we get a picture of what eternity looks like. And by the way, guys, eternity is not up there in that somewhere heaven on clouds, Eternity is spent on a new earth that has been restored, that has been scoured clean of the last vestiges of sin. And there's a new Jerusalem, this new city, that is a garden city like Eden was intended to be only now. There's no more sin and there's no more death. And this is what we read it'll be like. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them just like God did in the Garden of Eden. Just like God did in the form of Jesus. He tabernacled; he dwelt with the people for those 30 some odd years that he walked the earth. God will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's keep going. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's what eternity looks like. Not sitting on some cloud, strumming a harp, but co-laboring alongside God in the joy of cultivating his creation with him. Eternal life is a restoration of relationship. You and I were created to be in relationship with Him. Eternal life is a restoration of that. But here's the thing eternal life doesn't have to begin when these physical bodies give out. We don't have to shuffle off this mortal coil in order to begin to take hold of eternal life because if eternal life is doing life with God, then guess what? When you say yes to Jesus, when you take hold of the gift of relationship, when you say, Jesus, I don't just want you to be my savior and so save me from the the, the effects of my sin, but I want you to be my Lord. I choose to follow you. I choose to learn from you. I choose to allow your values to shape my values and we actually begin to follow him, then we are tasting the first fruits of eternal life here. Eternity starts here if we will choose to walk with him. Not just learn about him, not just have more information about him, not just memorize verses about him, actually follow him. Remember, like we said last week, we don't want to be like Nicodemus who just wants more head knowledge but feels pretty secure that we, we already know the right answers. We're not just after information. We're after transformation. We're after relationship. More of you, God. Jesus, we're after you. Not just after information about you. For God so loved you and me. Chose to love us. We didn't earn it. Loved us so much, though, that he gave the only son of his kind. The eternal Word through which the world was spoken into existence and it continues to hold it together. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to take on human flesh and to sacrifice himself for us so that whomever is willing to accept that gift of grace and follow Jesus does not have to continue to t- taste spiritual separation from God, a.k.a. death, but have eternal Life restored back in a relationship. And so there are some of you that are listening to my voice today that I pray that this has been more than an intellectual exercise. I pray that you are beginning to recognize that in some ways you have intellectualized your faith. You recognize that in some ways you have been resistant to holding on to, to taking hold of that gift have been resistant to taking that first step or maybe that tenth step of following him because you don't feel like you deserve it? You don't feel like you're worthy? Well, you're in good company because I'm not worthy and nobody else who's watching or or listening or here this morning is worthy. And that's what makes it such a good gift because you can't earn this. But perhaps you've been holding Jesus at arm's length. And guys, this morning... I simply want to challenge you to do what all of us who have taken hold of Jesus and tasted and seen that he's worth giving your life to have found. I want to encourage you to just reach out and accept the gift of help. You don't have to nor can you save yourself. You can't earn God's love but you never needed to in the first place. And although we're not saved by a simple prayer, that prayer of acceptance is the first step. And there's nothing magical about the words I'm about to say, but I'm going to simply model for you a prayer that I've said hundreds of times. And if this is the the reflection of your heart, then I invite you to join me in praying this. If you bow your heads with me. Father God, I don't deserve your love. I'm aware that I've made a lot of mistakes. And I thank you for loving me anyway. Jesus, I don't understand why you did it. But I thank you that you took on flesh And died in my place. And I embrace this gift of grace that you bought for me on the cross. I choose to rest in you rather than trying to prove my worth. And I choose to follow you as my Lord. I don't know what that means exactly. I choose to follow you. Would you send the Holy Spirit to begin cleaning me out and exposing anything in me that's not of you? Help yourself to my life as we begin to walk into eternity now. Jesus, in your And I just want you to know, if you prayed that or some other form of that, or if at some point you come to the point where you're done trying to save yourself, and you just say, I give up, God, I I accept. It would be as simple as that, by the way. Please let us know. Because we were not created to try to navigate life on our own. And I'll tell you that the, the most difficult steps first one and the, the ones that come after that. Because we have an enemy who's going to try to distract you, Is going to try to whisper in your ear, just like he did Adam and Eve, no, God's not really for you. What, he, what Eric said, that's a bunch of bunk. Guys, we need one another to lean on. And we just want to be able to beat that for you. You probably have a lot of questions. I know I certainly did. I would love to be able to walk with you. Jeff would love to walk with you. If that's you, then I encourage you to just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. Let us know that you made this step so that we can pray with you, that we can walk with you, maybe get you plugged into a community of people who are also in process, who are pursuing Jesus along this broken path that we call life on planet Earth. But let us know. Don't keep it a secret. Tell somebody else. Let somebody else that you know, know, so that they can celebrate with you. But now, let's just celebrate how good our God is and the amazing grace that we live in every single day of our lives. Let's worship together.
0: Please stand and sing with me. You dance, oh. your love for me.
1: funny as you you start thinking about how amazing the grace of God is, that he would save wretches like you and me. Um, It's easy to think of grace as something we need to take that first step. And it's true. We absolutely do. But every single step of our journey is paved by grace. Every single step. Because even if you say yes to Jesus, we will imperfectly represent him. There will be moments of doubt. There will be moments where we fall flat on our face and make a fool of ourselves and a fool of our God. And grace is there to hold us and pick us back up. There is grace for the man who forgets that today is Valentine's Day. Got you, baby. There is grace for the spouse that is a little sharp in reminding him of that. There is grace for our kids. And There is grace for our, us parents. We live in a grace and I'm so stinking grateful for it because we don't deserve it and that is what it makes it such an amazing gift. So Father God, I'm grateful for the gift of grace. I'm grateful that that gift of grace is not just some force, but it is a person. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus, the Christ, your anointed Redeemer. And Jesus, we say lead on, we will follow. Although we may not walk perfectly, we pray that you would help yourself to our lives so that as we progress through the rest of today and through the rest of this week, you would be honored and glorified in us. Help yourself to our lives so that others out there stumbling in the darkness would begin to recognize a a, a tangible difference in the way that we live and give you a second look. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Guys, I love you. Have a wonderful Valentine's Day. If you want to be able to give towards Lighthouse, you can do so via our website, through our app that we have. Um, You can also do so for those of you who are here. You can give in the boxes in the back. Uh, If you have a prayer request, we want to be able to pray with you and walk with you. You can just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. Okay, We, we would love hearing from you. If there's something you're concerned about, let us know. But have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful Valentine's Day, and we'll see you next week.